Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the 50 most important chef's PSAs. Stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let me start you all off with an update. Things that I'm working on right now. I think I said this last week. I can't tell you about them, but I can tell you what I have coming up. This week, we have South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and I will be speaking on a panel talking about food trends. So if you're at South by Southwest and you happen to be in Austin, look for me. I'll be with Sam Pellegrino on a panel on stage doing what I do best, which is talk a lot of shit. Anyway, also... April 6th, I will be at Live Fire in Austin, Texas. So for those of you that uh, like to attend the uh, the circuit of food festivals, I will be at that one. I might be doing a podcast there. I'm, I'm not sure. If I am doing a podcast, come by and say hi. Maybe you could sit down with me. Maybe we could talk some shit. But anyway, I'll be doing that April 6th, Live Fire, Austin, Texas, Kent Mabry, put on by Texas Food and Wine Alliance. So... If you're in the area, you should be at that event because all the cool kids are going to be there. And if you're cool, I ideally, that's where you would be. On today's episode, though, I wanted to talk about the 50 most important chef's PSAs. Now, I get a lot of questions like, what is the most important PSA? What do I think about this? What do I think about that? And, you know, I post a PSA daily and they're all important. But like if I had to, if I had to say what are the 50 most important chef's PSAs, I thought about it for a moment and I and I put them in a Twitter thread. So if you want to read this, go to Twitter, find the thread, the 50 most important chef's PSAs, and you can see them. Now, there's a lot of chef's PSAs that I put up, but I was like, what is the essence of chef's PSA? And I wanted to write them in somewhat of an order that kind of takes you from new into the kitchen to kind of, you know, when you become the head chef or, you know, the latter part of your career and talk through those PSAs. So I'm going to go through them. This is an important episode. This is this is the most important episode maybe so far if you're a new cook because let's assume you know how to use a knife and this, that, and the other. If you go and you do these 50 things that I'm telling you about, you will probably be more efficient than like 80% of the cooks out there. And the reason I say this is because these are probably, in my career as a chef, these are probably the most important things that I would correct people on or have to coach them out of. So you will be light years ahead of everyone if you just follow these PSAs. So anyway, let's start. Chef's PSA number one, 
No matter how well you do something, another chef thinks you're wrong. And I'm not going to expand on all of the PSAs because some of them are self-explanatory, but this one I think does need explanation. If you do something, let's say you're making stock and you use mirepoix, and let's say you don't put celery in, in your stock and you say, and someone's going to come up to you and say, that's wrong because mirepoix is carrot, celery, and onion. And you say, I don't like celery. And they're going to say, well, you're wrong. Or let's say you make bolognese with beef. They're going to say, no, it's supposed to be pork. Or let's say you make it with pork and they're going to say, no, it's supposed to be with beef. Or you're supposed to put milk in it or whatever the case may be. No matter how well you make something, and it could be absolutely perfect by many people's standards. There's going to be another chef that walks up and say, you're wrong. You're making it wrong. So the reason I say this is a very important PSA, I mean, I'll post a PSA and I'll say something and then I'll get in the comments, oh, you're wrong, it should be this way. And it's like, I, I, sometimes I just want to say, refer to chef's PSA number one, no matter how well I do something, another chef's going to tell me I'm wrong. You have to get over that. You have to understand if you're going to forge your own path and you're going to go forward, you have to understand that if you make something absolutely delicious and perfect, someone's going to tell you a better way to do it. So that is number one. Number two, Fold your towels. And uh, we've talked about this on other episodes. I won't get too much into it, but it shows that you're neat, you're clean, you're organized, you have attention to detail. You get an exponential amount of uses out of your towel if you fold them. Fold your towels. Cut the tape straight, and green tape is extra credit. Um, cut the tape using a, you know, scissors, a tape cutter, a knife, something. But you want to have short clean cuts of tape. It shows that uh, everything's in order. Here's an extra tip. You should always place the tape in the same location on a deli container. For me, it's like right underneath the line or on a Cambro container that's above the handle. Wherever the case may be, that way everything looks covered and aligned. Everything is in the same spot. Green tape is extra credit. You know, I know there's a big argument. I did a poll like green tape versus blue tape. Blue tape won. Uh, I was a blue tape person for a very long time. I've switched to the green tape team. And the reason that is, uh, th th this is a true story. This is this is why I changed my mind is I was working in a kitchen uh, helping out a friend and they didn't have light bulbs in their coolers and I couldn't see, but I could read the writing on the green tape with the black Sharpie much easier than I could on the blue tape with the black Sharpie. So uh, if lighting is an issue in your kitchen, green tape goes a long way. Someone messaged me, I won't say who said, but you know, Band-aids that people use in the kitchen are blue, so it doesn't mix in with the food for obvious reasons. So good point either way. Again, do what you will. For me, green tape is extra credit. Moving on. Number four, a filthy side towel is not a plate wipe, right? The dirty towel that you've been wiping your dirty hands on, don't go and wipe the rim of the plate with that. Use a plate wipe. So, you know, I use torque towels or chick towels or some people cut up sponges, whatever the case may be. Soak it in vodka or vinegar or even water's fine and use that make sure it's clean you should be cleaning something with something that's clean not wiping dirty plates with a dirty towel number five a good chef never wipes their dirty hands on their clean apron respect to the uniform keep your apron clean i'll keep it short number six the most expensive knives and aprons can't cook for you I get a lot of pushback on this one when I say, you know, the most expensive aprons and knives can't cook for you. And I was like, you know, all the knife snobs come out. Now, I'm a knife snob. I like nice knives. I also like nice aprons. I need an apron sponsor. So if you're listening, you should hit me up because the aprons that I like aren't being made anymore. Anyway, we digress. I say this because I've never gone into a restaurant and said, wow, this food is so good. I bet you they have, I bet you they have cool aprons. 
Or I bet you they have really expensive knives. This food is so good. Like no one ever says that. Also, no one ever says, boy, this food really sucks. If they only had better aprons, I bet you the food would be better. Like it doesn't matter. It's a fashion statement. It's not that important. The most important thing is to make sure that your skills are good. The most expensive knives and aprons can't cook for you. And this is really a shout out to the Halloween ninjas out there that put on, you know, they, they dress up in the costume for Halloween, but they aren't real ninjas. So learn how to use the sword first. Make sure that you've earned your ninja uniform and then look the part looking like the cool chef with the expensive knives and the, and the expensive apron. If you still don't know how to dice an onion, that's not as important. It's a bad look. Number seven. Don't sit on workplace counters. Your ass is not sanitary. Nothing grosses me out more than a cook that just jumps on a kitchen counter and sits there and you know, starts drinking a water or whatever. Like, don't. You're, as my chef told me, get your ass off the counter. Your ass isn't sanitary. Counters are for glasses, not for asses. Number eight, only food and knives go on a cutting board, not dirty ass boxes, and not your gross cell phone that you use while you're on the toilet. Number nine, do not work over a garbage bin. And I've, I've talked about this before. If you're working over a garbage bin, let's just say you're peeling a carrot and the carrot falls in, you're faced with a moral dilemma. Do you leave it in there and be wasteful or do you take it out and be gross? That's, it's a lose-lose. So work over a sheet pan, peel over parchment paper or something similar, cafeteria tray, have a trim kit, etc. but do not work over a garbage bin. It's a bad habit. It's the sign of someone that uh, doesn't really care too much about food cost or sanitation. So no working over garbage bins. Number 10, a gopher hole in the plastic wrap is lazy. Take the plastic wrap completely off. And if you don't know what a gopher hole, some people call them rat holes or whatever, right? It's when you have plastic wrap over a container and you just pop it so you can get in there and get the mise en place. It's like the laziest, most hack thing there is. It like takes a second to remove the plastic. Don't do that. Hack move and you all are not hacks. Number 11, don't hold a hot pan with a wet towel. Now, if you're if you're like a new cook in culinary school or you're thinking about going to culinary school or you're listening, the reason you do that is because you're gonna burn the shit out of your hand really bad, right? So don't do that. Number 12, the water in your utensil bane must be clean. If you're afraid to drink it, change it. And in the old days, you know, utensil bane, like, you know, maybe it's a ceramic crock or something. You have your tweezers and your plating spoons and your palette knife or whatever's in there. And there's specks of like herb and sauce and Alfredo and cream or I don't know. It's just gross. In the old days, the chef would walk up to you and say, you know, you better fucking drink it. And they're like, no, I don't want to drink it. Well, then change the water, right? So, and it could be sanitation solution. Whatever it is that you're putting in that, maybe it's running water, whatever the case may be, it has to be clean. Those are the utensils that you're using to plate food that is ready to be eaten, the utensils need to be clean. So the water has to be clean. If you're afraid to drink it, then you need to change it. I used to do an exercise where I would make people just imagine that they were drinking it and they would get grossed out. I'd say, close your eyes. Now imagine you're drinking this. Um, and I'd really take them through the process. And it's like, just imagining it makes you not want to ever do it. Number 13, it's better to turn a fish with a fish spatula versus tongs right? Tongs crush the fish. Fish is delicate. Fish spatula, Peltex spatula is another name for it. That is designed specifically to turn fish. That is what you should be using. Take care of your fish, right? It's a sign of a, of a good cook that uses the right tool for the job. Number 14, taste is more important than plating. And I could go on and on about this and I did a whole podcast about it. So if you need to expand on that, go back and listen to the podcast. Taste is more important than plating. Number 15, taste everything in the kitchen. A chef's palate is their superpower. And 
over the course of a career, you know, skills are going to come and go. You're going to get fast on the line. You're going to get slow on the line. You're going to learn how to do things, but your, your palate is what's going to be able to troubleshoot for you to fix food, right? When something's wrong, you know, you need to adjust the acid, the salt, the heat, whatever. Also, you're going to be able to create dishes because you're going to know that this with a little bit of this is going to taste good. So a chef's palate is their superpower. The old expression, I think Alain Ducasse said this, is um, the chef doesn't need to be the best cook in the kitchen, but they need to be the best taster in the kitchen. So keep that in mind. Develop your palate, taste everything all the time. Taste the same thing over and over again so you notice any nuance in it. Taste things when they're ripe, taste things you know, when they're not ripe, taste things when they're a perfect season, taste things when they're bad, taste things when they're good so you understand how to fix them. Knowledge of techniques is superior to that of recipes. And I'll explain that just really briefly. If let's say you know how to make a pumpkin risotto, let's say someone teaches you how to make pumpkin risotto with you know pancetta, and you're like, great, I have this recipe for pumpkin risotto with pancetta, but you don't know how to make proper risotto. Like you have a recipe to make an interesting risotto, but you don't know how to make risotto. If you know how to master risotto, you can master 10,000 variations of risotto. This is a principle by Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings, master one to master that's 10,000 variations. So knowing the technique could lead to endless possibilities, but just knowing the recipe gives you one. So master the technique. Techniques are superior to that of recipes. Number 17, the quickest way to make your food better is to use better ingredients. This is pretty self-explanatory. If we have the same ingredients, but, but uh, I'm sorry, if we have the same recipe, but I have better ingredients than you, my food most likely will taste better. There is some technique involved, but if we're both pretty high level competent cooks and chefs, the one with the better ingredients is the better chef. It's gonna have the better end product. Buy things in season, buy the better olive oil, use better salt, get better vinegar. Number 18, if you want to understand food better, plant a garden. And the reason I say that is you'll understand micro seasons. You'll understand that maybe, you know, this was something for me, like in Texas, I was growing watermelon and I understood that watermelon is only available in September. That's it. Like everyone says it's a summer fruit. It's like, nope, it's one month. I understood that figs had two seasons, at least on my tree. It would come in the, in the, in the spring and then I'd have more figs in the fall and in the summer I'd have nothing. You'll start to understand how things taste at different periods of ripeness. So like I said, planting a garden, you'll have a better appreciation for how things grow. And you'll understand like when it's at this stage, it's perfect. And you'll see all the different things that the plant produces, like the flowers and the buds, etc. The leaves, it'll make you a better chef. Number 19, the shortest path to get the most delicious result is the best path. And what I mean by that is sometimes we get caught up in doing things a very difficult way, but it doesn't necessarily yield a better product. And in today's kitchen, when you have to be more efficient, you have fewer staff, there's a lot of moving parts, you may need to get to the end result much quicker. And if there's a faster way to get there without compromising the quality, if there's two roads that take you to the same path, to the same end result, and the end result, mind you, should always be delicious, then take the shorter path. See where there's steps that you could eliminate to get to the same result. So that's more of a mindset thing to find the most direct path is the quickest way to get there. Number 20, the most difficult technique to master is the one you are afraid to try. I think that is self-explanatory. When you're afraid to try something, you're never gonna learn it. Number 21, knowing how to use NACL is more important than knowing how to use alginates. 
which by the way, I should give credit. I think I got this from Grant Ackett's. I may have read it in his book, but honestly, I, I don't remember, but I think I got it from him. And for those of you that don't know, NACL is salt. And that means that everyone comes in, they want to make spheres and they want to make gels and they want to make gums or you know whatever the case may be. And yet they haven't mastered the basics of seasoning using salt or whatever the case may be, pepper, etc. And if you understand the fundamentals of seasoning, this is going to be greatly more important than you making something uh, with an alginate. You shouldn't even be thinking about alginates until you've mastered how to use salt. This is very important, and it seems to be a step that everyone wants to gloss over so they could get to the next step, but it's like fundamentally the thing that's wrong with most food, like when you go out to eat at a restaurant, like, yeah, it's missing something. Usually what it's missing is salt. I would say, and I'm making this up, I would say about 50% of the problems with food when you get it and you don't like it usually is a seasoning problem. It's not enough salt or too much or too much spice or whatever the case may be. You want to focus on understanding how to season and that ties into taste everything. Number 22, if your salt and pepper is mixed on your station, it shouldn't be. And it's funny when I get pushback on this because people are like, well, you know, in my kitchen, you know, we do this, that, and the other. Well, if in your kitchen you have a pre measured recipe that makes everything perfect, then okay, you should market that because no one else seems to have figured it out. Now I get it. Maybe you're just making one thing and you have it measured. Okay. That's different. Maybe you've created a spice mix, but for the most part, if you're working on a line and you have many different things that you're cooking, salt and pepper don't go on everything in the same ratio. Not only that, but they also don't go on in the same time. Sometimes salt goes on first. Sometimes pepper goes on at the end. A lot of people use pepper at the end of the dish because uh, it changes the flavor when you cook it. A lot of people put salt on at the beginning because sometimes it extracts moisture or they layer, um, they layer the seasoning as they're cooking. So it's important to understand when to season something with salt. It's important to understand when to season something with pepper, but having a mix is, I mean, for me, it's a hack move. I don't like it. I'd, I've, I don't allow it. And it's not something that I condone in kitchens, unless it's a very specific type of kitchen. Like, you know, like I said, barbecue is one that comes to mind and I'm sure there's other outliers out there, but I would say 99% of you are not working in those kitchens, so it probably doesn't apply to you. You're probably working on the line and you just think it's faster if I mix my salt and pepper. You're saving like a microsecond. Don't mix them. The food will taste better if you don't do that, so don't mix your salt and pepper. Number 23, you shouldn't have iodized salt and table grind pepper on your station. That usually goes like uh, in salt shakers and pepper shakers on the diner. Like that, that's not what you need on your station. Use kosher salt, diamond crystal, Morton's. I'm not sure what team you're on. It's like blue tape versus green tape, but not iodized salt. You, you shouldn't be really using iodized salt in a, in a professional kitchen. And then grind your pepper, right? Uh, um, a lot of people grind their pepper in a pepper mill. I use a Peugeot pepper mill. I've said that before. I'm a little bit of a pepper snob, um, but it tastes different and you could control the coarseness of the grind if you're using a pepper mill. Or some people just you know use a spice grinder or whatever and grind pepper for the whole kitchen. I prefer a pepper, pepper mill. Whatever you use, uh, don't use table grind black pepper. Number 24, half sheet pans on a speed rack is a dangerous game to play. We've all played that game that you don't see the half sheet pan and you pull something too fast or you put a, sh a sheet pan in and you knock one over and it's a mess. Like there's never a good outcome with putting a half sheet pan. And everyone's like, well, just be more careful. Don't be so fast. It's like, come on. We've all done this. We're not all perfect. So no half sheet pans. Bad habit. You spill food all over the floor, you get ants. No one likes ants in their kitchen. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Number 25, learn to saute with your non-dominant hand. Um, This is something a lot of people are like, yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah, not everyone knows that. Sometimes you might work in a kitchen for several years and never have worked a saute station. You might have been on the grill or you might have been in garbage or, you know, I don't know, a station that doesn't saute things. Then all of a sudden you're thrown on the line. You don't know to saute with your non-dominant hand, right? Tools go in one hand, pan goes in the other hand. Learn to learn to use your non-dominant hand. If you're really good and you become ambidextrous, hey, more power to you. But a good habit if you're new in the kitchen, learn to saute with your non-dominant hand. It's uh, it's a game changer, especially early on in your career. Number 26, spend your time working in kitchens you aspire to run. A lot of people will work their entire career in a restaurant that they have no desire to be in because they have aspirations of running a different type of kitchen. Any amount of time that you spend in kitchens that you don't desire to run is taking you away from learning and working in kitchens that you do desire to run. So if your goal, for example, is to have a barbecue restaurant and you love barbecue, but yet you work in something other than a barbecue restaurant, you're not learning about barbecue and you're not learning about the barbecue business. So if your desire is to run a specific type of restaurant, start getting experience in those specific types of restaurants. Number 27, no one cares how you did it at your last job. And that's kind of true. It's kind of not like sometimes people are going to ask you, oh, cool. How'd you do it there? Show me what you did. But what I mean by that is there's a difference between people asking you and seeking like, how'd you do it versus, you know, when, when you're that new person in the kitchen, you're like, oh, at my last job, let me tell you this, that, and the other. It's like when you're dating someone and all they do is talk about their ex. It's like, fuck, no one wants to hear that. No one cares. Just do it the way I want you to do it. So it's, it's just like a kitchen courtesy thing. Don't talk about the last job unless people are asking you about the last job. It's, you know, be a little bit humble with that. It, it rubs people the wrong way in general. Not everyone, not everyone, everyone's different, but I would say like, like nine out of 10 chefs are going to get rubbed the wrong way. So why risk it? Number 28, no one cares where you went to school if you still can't cook. And that's kind of in line with the last one. Don't brag about going to this school or that school and you know, all your degrees, especially early on, you know, when you graduate culinary school, a lot of people think that, uh, it, it carries a lot of clout in the kitchen, but it, it really doesn't. What carries clout and weight in the kitchen is how well can you cook? That matters more than your degree, so don't forget that. Number 29, the three rules of catering are count everything, count everything, and count everything. Basically, and that's not just for catering, that's for everything, but how many asparagus are on the sheet pan? How many carrots do you have? How many steaks do you have? How many chicken breasts do you have? Uh, How many plates are in the hot box? Count everything. How many tongs did you bring? All of that matters in catering because you only have to not count it once, and it's, it's a fucking disaster. So count everything. Number 30, some of the most important tools in the kitchen are a pen and a notepad. Write everything down, take notes, and save those notebooks. You'll be thankful later on in your career because you'll, you know, 10 years in, you're going to go back and be like, oh man, I used to love that recipe. I forgot about it. Or I can't believe I was making that. It's good for memories. Um, and it, it tells the story of your progression throughout your career. So write everything down. But not only that, also when the chef is giving you instructions, write it down because nothing's worse than 
a chef giving you instructions, then you go back to them after a couple of minutes. I'm sorry, chef, I forgot what was next on the list. Like it's an annoying question. Don't do that. Write it down. Know what step one is, step two, step three, and so on. Number 31, when your chefs are correcting you, resist the urge to make excuses and listen. Uh, Again, they probably just want you to fix it and do it the right way. They don't care why it's wrong, usually. And when you start making excuses, usually what it does is you're digging a hole and you're just making them more and more upset. So don't make excuses. They're not mad at you. They just want you to fix it. Just listen and fix it. Don't make excuses. Number 32, successfully avoiding difficult work in the kitchen is not something to be proud of. You're holding yourself back and you're not doing yourself any service by not taking on the difficult work. The difficult work is really where the learning happens. So don't be afraid of the difficult work. Number 33, 86ing something after the fact is amateur hour. And it is. No other way to say it. Count what you have. Let people know when you're running low. And, you know, a good rule of thumb is I, a lot of places will 86 will like with two portions left because inevitably someone's going to order one or two more portions. Number 34, kitchen etiquette. Only chefs and cooks should go behind the line. Occasionally the porters it shouldn't be the service staff. It shouldn't be, you know, people just wandering around. The line is sacred. A lot of action is happening. There's knives, there's pots, there's pans, there's movement. And a lot of times people don't know kitchen language, like hot behind knife, etc. So rule is if you're not cooking, you shouldn't go behind the line, period. Number 35, if you don't have time to make it correctly now, you certainly won't later, right? Don't take a shortcut. Don't cheat because inevitably you're going to get caught or the recipe is going to be screwed up and you're going to have to go back and make it later. So if you're in a rush and you're trying to make a shortcut because you think you're not going to get caught, trust me, it never works out in your benefit. You always get caught and you're going to have to make it again anyway. And now you really don't have time because now you're going to be double behind. Make it right the first time. Number 36, when presenting... Your chef, the amazing dish you just created, make sure they don't have the same cookbook. <laughs> this is funny. You know, I used to do this shit too, right? I, I, I would read Charlie Trotter's cookbook and then take my chef the new dish and he'd be like, you got that out of Charlie Trotter's book. I'd be like, oh yeah, you have that book too, don't you? Throughout the course of my career, I can't tell you how many times my sous chefs, and I didn't always call them out because sometimes I like I have the book and I'll just play along with them. But I can't tell you how many times my sh- my sous chefs have brought me dishes that they created. You know, I'm using, you know, quotes that they created. And I'd be like, I have that book. Like, I know exactly where you got that recipe from and who you got it from. I didn't always call them out. I started to later um, just because I thought it was funny. If you're if you're taking a, a dish out of a book or from another chef, you should say I, I'm inspired by this. You shouldn't just take it. People know, especially you know when your chef has that same cookbook on their wall and they're like, oh, "Are you sure that's not so and so's dish? I got the same book," and they make it anyway. Number thirty-seven. Treat your dish team and stewards like the kings and queens they are. It was dishwasher day the other day, and I think this is important. They're the hardest working people in the kitchen. Treat them well and they will be good to you. So it says a lot about you, how you treat your dish team. And we should call it a dish station, not a dish pit. Um, I'm a big fan of using the word station over pit. And, you know, pits are like, you know, gross. No one wants to work in a pit, but a station is, you know, there's the pastry station. There is the pasta station. There's the saute station, the grill station. It's not the grill pit or the pastry pit. So why is it a dish pit? It's just a pejorative, and I, I, a lot of people don't like it. So I don't. I personally don't like it, and I think you got to respect the dish team, so dish station. Number 38, the floor is not a trash bin. Don't wipe food directly on the floor. You know, 
uh, wipe it in your hand, put it in the trash or in a tray or something like that. But it's it's lazy when people just get a towel and just wipe all the shit directly on the floor. It's just it's just a bad habit. Don't do that. It's gross. Number 39, take the tape off the container before sending it to the dish station. Again, dish station. And that's just like, it takes a second. Remove the tape so the dishwashers don't have to treat them like the kings and queens they are, going back to that. Number 40, during an interview, don't tell the chef you don't like to follow recipes because you like to freestyle. Because <laughs> they're going to tell you freestyle your ass out the door then. They don't want you here, right? No chef is out there trying to hire an entry-level cook because you have good recipes and you're going to change their recipes. Like That is like nails on a chalkboard to most chefs. So I want to hire you so you can execute these dishes. And you're going to say, yeah, I got my own way. I got my own recipes I want to make. Like it's the, it's the dumbest thing ever. Don't ever say that on an interview. It's a guaranteed way to not get the job. I actually don't know why I made that a PSA. Probably, uh, probably someone told me that during an interview and I, I got annoyed and I wrote it. But uh, honestly, I don't remember. Anyway, don't ever say that. Number 41, it's better to take your time and become a good sous chef later versus impatiently becoming a bad one today. And I've seen this throughout my career over and over again. Someone thinks that they're ready for sous chef and I or another mentor they may have is telling them they still have some room to grow. They end up leaving and taking on a sous chef job and then they come back and they say, I wasn't ready. It's a difficult thing because you never really know when you're ready. And someone asked me the other day uh, and they said, well, how do you know when you're ready? I said, well, you should ask someone that you trust, a chef that you trust and say, what, what am I lacking? And have them be honest with you because you might have blind spots. Sometimes they'll tell you you're ready. You need to go now. And other times they're going to be like, you need to work on this, this, and this. And if you trust the person, you should listen to them and work on the things that they tell you because nothing is worse than thinking that you are ready, jumping into it. And then failing in the position. And then sometimes that hurts people's ego to the point where then they get stuck. And now they're afraid to go into the position after they are ready. So um, ask people that you trust. Get good advice on that. Number 42, be the type of chef that you would like to work for. That's self-explanatory. I don't need to get into that one. Number 43, find a good chef mentor and listen to them. This ties into what we are just saying about, you know, asking a mentor when you're ready for the next thing. But a good chef mentor is like having a cheat code and they will help you get to where they are. And ultimately when you're selecting a mentor, you want to find a mentor that's in a position that you want. Cause a lot of times people just look at the person that's like one year more experienced than them or two years. And they're like, Oh, they're two years ahead of me. I should ha have them be my mentor. And it's like, maybe you could have them teach you things, but that might not be a good mentor because the position that you're aspiring to be in, you should ask someone that's in that position because only they could tell you how to get there because they've done it. To everyone else, it's just theory until they've done it. It's like, I think I know how to do it, but until you've proved that you could do it, you don't know. It's like armchair quarterbacking. So when you're selecting a mentor, I think it's important to find someone in the position or having accomplished what you want to accomplish. Number 44, the secret to getting promoted in the kitchen is being so good they can't ignore you. And a lot of people push back on me when I posted this one, like, you know, I am good, but I keep getting passed up for this, that, and the other. And, and I don't want to argue with people online and I don't know everyone's situation. And of course it does happen that sometimes people get passed over, you know, for favoritism or because they like someone else better, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is if you're so good that they cannot ignore you, you're probably going to get the job. I don't know any chef in my circle of friends or chefs that I've promoted that usually don't promote the best candidate for the job. The best candidate for the job normally gets the job. And not always, it's not 100%, but normally the best person for the job gets the job, especially if they're outperforming everyone else. 
because you want a successful team. So if you're not getting promoted, again, go back to your mentor and find out why, because maybe you have a blind spot. A mentor is invaluable and it's gonna, it's gonna keep coming up. Number 45, don't compare yourself to bad cooks in the kitchen. Be better than yesterday. Again, all that matters is that gradual improvement. A lot of times there's bad cooks that work side by side with you and you say, well, I'm clearly better than them, so why, why, do, why, why can they do it and I can't? It's like, well, don't compare yourself to them. Be better than them, right? Be the exception to the rule. Cook at such a high level that you inspire everyone else versus cooking to the level of the, the, the lowest uh the lowest performer. That doesn't make any sense, right? If you want to be great, you got to cook above and improve yourself. Don't compare yourself to bad cooks. Be the best and compare yourself to the best. Number 46, it's better to be the worst cook in the best kitchen than the best cook in the worst kitchen. And there's some argument back and forth here like, well, don't you want to lift up your team? We're talking about being a cook early on in your career. When you're early on in your career, you want to be around people that are going to push you to become better. Later in your career, that might be a different story. But early in your career, you're shaping your future. And the more time that you spend around people that are better than you, and I'm not just talking about cooking. These could be better chefs, better managers, people that are better at making barbecue, three Michelin star chefs. Like, Find the best people that you could work around. Because when you work around great people, you have no other choice other than to become great around them, because usually uh, greatness doesn't tolerate mediocrity. So surround yourself with people that are great and they'll pull that out of you because everyone has greatness within them. Either it's already being demonstrated or it's laying dormant waiting to be awakened. So surround yourself with people that are better than you so they could pull that out. Uh, and then when you are the great one, right? You're the great chef, you're the great cook. Then that's your time that you pull everyone else up because you are able to pay back what was given to you. Number 47, happy cooks make better food. And this was something that I learned early on in my career. It used to be the slogan in, in one of the kitchens that I worked in when I was like 20. The chef used to say, happy cooks make better food. <laughs> the reason he would say that is he would get everyone drunk, so we'd be happy. But anyway, don't do that. Just, you know, it's true though. When you have a good team and everyone's happy and everyone's gelling and the culture's good, the food tastes better, right? When everyone's negative and you work in these uh, these kitchens where it's they're dysfunctional, like the and everyone's fighting, like the food doesn't taste good in those kitchens. So happy cooks make better food. Number forty eight: the best chefs don't know everything; the worst ones do. And it's it's true, like that know it all that you can't teach them anything, and it's like they're they're never learned. You're doing yourself you're doing yourself a disservice by thinking you know everything. It's better to be humble and go in and learn from everybody. I mean, you could learn from a home cook, you could learn from a dishwasher, you could learn from freaking TikTok. It doesn't matter. But when you know everything, it's like that old analogy, like your cup's full. They can't put new, new water in there because it just keeps overflowing, right? You have to empty your cup. Number 49, a good relationship between the chef and the sous chef is critical to run a successful kitchen. Nothing is worse when the chef and the sous chef don't get along and they're not aligned. And if the sous chef is more talented, and I've, and I've seen this happen before, when the sous chef is more talented than the chef, then people align with the sous chef. And if the sous chef doesn't like the chef, then you have like a mutiny on your hands before you know it. That relationship is critical. So if you're a chef listening to this, that relationship with your sous chef is one of the most important relationships you should cultivate. And if you're the sous chef, the same thing. Your relationship with your chef is one of the most important relationships you should have. If you want your kitchen to be successful, both of you need to be aligned. It's also very difficult for the people that work under you. When chef comes, we do it this way. And when the sous chef comes, we do it that way. So uh, line them up, chef.
Number 50, last one. Chefs, if you know your worth, don't be afraid to ask for it. If you know what you deserve to be paid, don't accept less because the second that you accept less is the second that you're saying, that's what I'm worth. So if you're worth more, get more. Easier said than done. But I promise you, if you're a big name chef, you should be getting big bucks. But also, with that being said, if you're don't go out and also overestimate your abilities. Again, that's where your mentor comes in. Have someone guide you so you know exactly what you should be making. I, I want everyone to make more money. I think I did a podcast a couple of days or a couple of episodes back that was about that, how to get more money. So I think it's important that everyone starts making more money. I want to help you all make more money, but you got to arm yourself with knowledge. And so that's the 50 most important chefs PSAs. You can listen to this episode over and over and over again and get smarter, or you could go on Twitter and follow the thread. I, I wrote them all out there. We need more chefs on Twitter. Twitter's kind of boring uh, without all the chefs on there, but it is a lot of fun because you know there's a lot of other things going on there, but chef Twitter's not that great. I'm going to say this just to close the show. There is one chef's PSA that is the most important chef's PSA, and that is do it the way your chef wants it, even if it's not the way I tell you to do it. Your chef is right, not me. I know I talk a lot of shit, do it this way, do it that way. This is the right way to do things, but it doesn't matter because I'm not the one that you're working for. You have a chef. At the end of the day, do it the way they tell you to do it, period. If you want to support the show, make sure you leave five stars on Spotify or Apple or Google or whatever it is that you're listening to this. Nothing less than five stars. I appreciate that. Also, if you want to get some of the books that I have, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, Line Cook Survival Manual, and The Kitchen Art of War. You can get all of those on Amazon and also uh, just go to chefspsa.com. We have everything. Uh, we have merch on there, free recipe eBooks, video courses, and so on. Thank you all very much. We'll see you next week and hit the porno music. <laughs>